Welcome to Asbury Pod. This week on the podcast, our guest is Tom Pavinsky, leader of the Asbury Park Environmental Shade Tree Commission, retired Catholic priest, and pioneer of gay marriage in the state of New Jersey. Welcome, Tom. The matters addressed in this podcast represent my own personal views and opinions concerning issues affecting the citizens of Asbury Park in my capacity as the deputy mayor of the city of Asbury Park. They do not necessarily represent the official position of the city or the official position of the Asbury Park City Council as a whole. I am developing and implementing this podcast in an effort to keep citizens informed. However, this is not an official City of Asbury Park podcast and does not, and I repeat, does not represent the official position of the city or the governing body. Good morning, everybody. It's February 15th. We just passed Valentine's Day, which is not like a day that I I, um, I really celebrate. Do you celebrate it, Joe? Yes. Oh, do you? Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Are you kidding me? Of course. Straight people seem to celebrate it. It's not an option. Yeah, I get you. So, I'm not a sentimental person, but I, I certainly, uh, in, uh, I think it's a nice holiday. Oh, uh, I gotcha. And how was your week? It was good. Yours? It was good. Right. I was in Atlanta last week. Have you ever been in Atlanta? Haven't I ever been where? Atlanta. Atlanta, no. no. It's it's nice. Oh, okay. Um, That's not a big selling point. Right. So, so people love Atlanta. I hope we don't have any listeners in Atlanta, Joe. <laughs> I'm sure. I have a niece in Atlanta. Oh. Well, don't, don't tell her to listen to this podcast. <laughs> I had a great dinner there, so and uh, but it's an odd odd city. All right, well, you can talk about that later, but yeah, uh, we had rain all week, so you didn't miss. Yeah. Well, oh my god, such so depressing, right? No, oh, rain, like rain day after day. Too. A quick editorial insert here. This episode was recorded in mid February at the beginning of the coronavirus scare, and I'm here editing it tonight on March 16th, where things look very different. So that morning I had read a report indicating that coronavirus had a similar fatality rate as the flu, which has since been proven to be incorrect, or so yet another article I read today says. So I'm acknowledging here in public that I am about to say something next that is completely wrong, and Amy Quinn is about to say something completely right, which will make Amy happy. And the Uh, coronavirus is scaring the shit out of me. Our, but our illustrious president thinks it'll be gone in April. Hey, um, so just I, I feel so much more secure now. Of course, so. he does. To give a perspective, like you know, over eight thousand people have died in the nights this year from the flu. So have nothing the to do with the coronavirus. Reason that that perspective is incorrect. So I can go into why that perspective yeah. is incorrect with the coronavirus killing so many people because you're using a much bigger. The United States population is like sure. huge, whereas in where this started, it's like 60 or 70. It's such a higher percentage. That's correct. But the Anywho, rest, everyone else. Listen, it's going away in April. So w- with the warm weather, it's going to magically disappear and we're all going to be fine. Yeah. And no one in the Southern Hemisphere thanks, will get it during the winter. Trump. So. Um, so we're here with one of my favorite people, Tom Pavinsky, who if there is a garden in this town, um, if there is anything beautiful via landscaping, it's a result of Tom Pavinsky and the volunteers and the Environment and Shade Tree Commission. 
I have been trying to give Tom Favinsky a proclamation from the city for years, and every time was told to go fuck myself. Um, however, by, by Tom or someone else? No, by Tom. <laughs> really? Oh, by Tom. Yeah, go fuck yourself. <laughs> um, and then we finally agreed that we would give Tom and all the volunteers and the Shade Tree Commission um, a proclamation, and I and that he he accepted, which is similar to what you've done with the Carousel Awards. Absolutely. Yes. Did you tell Sylvia Sylvia to go fuck herself when she initially approached you? I never said that to her, but I told her I wouldn't be interested if she wasn't going to give it to the entire group, and they just resisted for years and years and years until finally this year they they were somewhat compromising and uh, they acquiesced and said, "All right, we'll give it. To you. We'll if you will accept it." in behalf of the entire group, then we'll give it to them. And I said, fine. And so that's going to be on the, um, and that'll be on the award itself. Yeah, they picked good recipients this year. Sometimes the recipients yeah. are like, eh. And this year I really thought they knocked it out of the ballpark. Two recipients who were trying to get on the podcast are Leisha uh, Floyd and Cassandra Dickerson, who yeah. work for the city, who quite frankly really just run the city. Um, Let's get them on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to get them on. Did, um, they, did they know that you work for the city? They do. They do. Mm -hmm. And they occasionally listen to me. Most of, most of the time they don't. Um, so, Tom, we usually start this by talking about what brought you to Asbury Park. Um, well, living in the city for many years and then deciding we wanted to have a country house. So we went to Ocean Grove and we lived there for about three years and decided that Ocean Grove wasn't our cup of tea. And so we looked for something else when we came to Asbury, but everybody thought we were crazy because at that point, Asbury was really flat on its back, which is like 21 years ago. And uh, so we looked around, we found a house on Emory Street, and we loved it. And we had a crack house across the street. We had to deal with that for a few years, but that cleared up eventually. And uh, we've never been happier. So late 1990s? Uh, very late, in 1997. 1997. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And then how quickly did you get um, involved in the Environment and Shade Tree Commission? Um, I, I feel guess like I you've was, been on that a long time. I was, in I was in town around two years and Rich Gore was on the Shade Tree Commission and he asked me if I'd come to a meeting. And I said, sure, I'll be happy to come to a meeting. And I left that night and I was the chairman. And uh, I've been the chairman since 2003. <laughs> Go Rich Gore. <laughs> yeah. Well done, Rich Gore. Yeah. As a permanent uh, membership. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. No. Yeah, no. So, and how long have you been on the Shade Tree Commission? Since 2003, so about Since 17 years. Wow, holy yeah. Toledo. It's, so, only, it's only actually been within the last, since 2009. Uh, I became a master gardener in 2008 and slowly began to get more involved in, in some of the stuff in the city. And we we built the uh, rain garden over on Cookman, uh, rather on Maine and Springwood, and uh, that was really the beginning. We had that was an uphill battle all the way. The city engineer fought us on that. Terry Reedy was pretty much supportive of it, but told us that it may not be there for long because they may, you know, they may reuse that property. And I said, fine, as long as it's there for a while, we have at least have a rain garden and we can start to help clean up Wesley Lake. And uh, they said, yeah. So we built it. What would be the relationship between the rain garden and Wesley Lake? Well, the rain garden uh, takes in, uh, now it takes in about three quarters of a million gallons of polluted water every year. That water would have gone right into the drain, right into Wesley Lake. So now the rain garden absorbs all that and it, um, it clarifies that water that goes into the aqueduct below. 
That's and, great. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and it's still to this day uh, yeah. probably one of my favorite gardens, but just an amazing, amazing garden. Mm-hmm. And the city is talking now about putting a, uh, a um, what do you call it, a parking garage over at Transportation Center. And at a recent meeting, I asked, uh, I asked Mike Manzella, how would that impact the rain garden? And actually, it would impact it rather positively because I'll be able to put another input from uh, uh, from the uh, transportation center right into the garden, so we can actually expand the garden if we wanted to. Oh wow, that'll be yeah. great! Yeah. And, and we want to make that a green parking garage as well. As yes, absolutely. What does that mean? It it means that we're going to well. First of all, it means that there will be good landscaping that, around it. But we'd like to put some kind of structures in place where we can either have a a rooftop kind of a garden, or we can have uh, plantings that would be planted alongside the garden that would hang low. Mm-hmm. You know, things along those lines. I think the idea of a rooftop garden on every large flat surface is um, it's something. I don't know why we don't pursue more widely societally. I mean, you have hundreds of yards of mall rooftop that could be green or solar yeah um to help trouble is they haven't been they haven't been built in the first place to support that kind of structure they're heavy yeah so we can't just put it up there so now they really have to be built with that in mind Mm -hmm. to help mitigate like heat island effects and things like that. oh yeah but sure yeah this garage is going to probably cost 50 million Mm -hmm. give or take john moore's got got that apparently well we need a parking garage so what are you gonna do Yeah. yeah um Tom, so um, our our couple of listeners might not know, and and this is as per Russell Lewis, you were a very very big deal in New York City as a priest. According to Russell Lewis, you were a huge deal in New York City. Well, I was at St. Joseph's in the Village. Okay, and um, I was one of the more popular priests. Uh, I was a good sermon giver, a good homilist. Um, that's about the biggest deal I can say it was. I had a practice in the city for a long time as an analytic therapist. And so that might have also contributed to what he thinks was a big deal. Hmm. Yeah. And and you left um, St. Joseph's and came to Asbury Park? No, actually, I left St. Joseph's. Actually, when I left St. Joseph's, I decided to leave ministry temporarily and so i took a leave of absence from my diocese which was in patterson and uh, i lived in the city on my own at two-fifth and a a friend of mine got me an apartment there which was really terrific and i had a good practice so i was able to afford it and about the second year into my leave of absence i met malcolm and i decided yep my leave of absence was perfect for two years because now i met somebody that i want to be with forever and uh, malcolm and i got together and we've been together now 26 years wow yeah and how did you meet uh, a mutual friend introduced you both yeah I, a friend of mine who i did work with and mal did work with in a, in a healing circle and uh he introduced us and he died on christmas day of ads of aids Oh. Yeah, he's a good friend of ours. Um, and Malcolm also had a practice in the city, right? He did. Okay. Yeah, he did a different kind of therapy, though. Oh, sound, you know, is it a rival therapy or, you know, or, you know oh. was there a, a doctrinal conflicts over the th- type of therapy? No, you know, no, no. Those no. Jungians don't know anything? <laughs> <laughs> there are all kinds of, there are many therapies that there are nuts in the world. And, uh, I, I don't mean people, I mean actual nuts. But uh, so he did his own kind, he did a Rubenfeld synergy therapy, which mm-hmm. was not a hands-on therapy, nor was mine. Mine's yeah. a talking therapy. Right. Long term for the most part. Oh, wow. 
<clears throat> and were you doing any gardening in New York City? Um, no, I didn't have any place to garden in New York City. I had, we had a small terrace, and I had a few things growing on there, but it wasn't really a garden. When I was actually an active priest in, in the diocese, I had gardens in most of the places where I lived, small ones, though. And did you grow up gardening? Um, I didn't grow up gardening. I just enjoyed gardening any chance I got. I, my earliest remembrances of gardening was as a kid way back in, the, I guess it was like in the early 50s, uh, my mother used to go to a a, um, a Dutch dairy store, and they would have they would have uh, rectangular wooden containers that cream cheese came in, and they would throw them away. And I remember asking them if I could have a few, and they said sure. So I took them home, put dirt in them, and started planting seeds, and had it on the fire escape. We lived in a tenement. That's my earliest remembrance. Are you from New York City originally? No, no, oh. I'm from Passaic originally. Oh, Passaic. Well, born in actually Wilkes-Barre. And got mm. here when I was six months old. And um, all my family lived in Passaic for the most part. Mm. Huh. Yeah. Passaic, uh, I've never been there. Passaic? Used to have the Great Tower Theater there, um, but I've never been there. They had the Montauk and the Lincoln and the Capitol as well. Oh, the Capitol Theater, not the Tower. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Wrong, ta- uh, wrong, wrong city. Yeah. But uh, It's changed pretty dramatically, though. Yeah. So, um. Okay. I don't know anything about Passaic, um, other than Tom grew up there. But can I ask, you know, we've been talking about the Environmental Environmental Shade Tree Commission, but what do they do? What does the ESTC actually do? So we, And we, it started as Shade Tree. It was initially the Shade Tree Commission. Right. Yeah. Right. And so we talked about the, the rain garden, but, you know, we, you know, and how it, that it's there, but, you know, what does the committee actually do and what do you guys think about and, you know, as a, a resident of Asbury Park, what, what should we know that the ESTC is doing? Well, the mission of the Environmental Shade Tree, or the Shade Tree Commission, as was originally founded, uh, is that <clears throat> we, we are responsible for looking at the tree canopy in town. Uh, we, just, we look to see where trees are needed. We look to see where trees need to be replaced. We see where there are hazardous trees that need to be uh, pruned or taken away. And we are continually looking for programs that will help us to uh, create more of a tree canopy. So that's essentially the the real mission of the Shade Tree Commission, becoming the Environmental Shade Tree Commission. We also then began to develop ways to make the city look more aesthetically beautiful uh, and to create a psychological milieu where people can walk around and see macadam and glass, and then they can see flowers, and they can sort of relax a little bit and slow mm-hmm. down. So we had uh, the city planner on, and in the um, Asbury Park city plan... Engineer. Engineer. No, we had the planner, Barbara, or commissioner. Uh, planning board planning chair. Board chair. Yes, okay. We had several guests. Who knows who, knows who they were, <laughs> really? Because uh, the city does have a planner, Michelle Lanza, but we haven't uh, had her on, but she would totally come on. So, uh, and in the plan itself um, was um, a, a, a plan to increase tree cover and canopy uh, from, I guess, like 20% to 75 or whatever the percentages were. Mm-hmm. And so why would we want that? So what's, what is the benefit of an increased um, tree canopy in the city? Well, the primary benefit, of course, is just in terms of the pollution in the city uh, because the trees absorb all the pollution and then expel mm-hmm. it as, as uh, oxygen for us. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the basic reason. Uh, you mentioned before something about the heat island effect. 
that's that's another reason. Um, just in terms of the financial aspect of trees, uh, homes that have trees around them are invariably uh, higher priced uh, because they do help during the winter. They help during the summer. Uh, they also increase the ability for the for the city to take care of the stormwater drainage and so forth. So. Uh, Trees are, are essential, but they're mostly essential for the fact that they are, they are going to help us to breathe better. Mm-hmm. And I, the heat island effect, you know, the, the tool, little, everyone seems to know about it, but there's very few, you know, there's very simple things you can do to mitigate those, that problem. And in, there's a, in trees are number one, and, and surprising how slow sometimes canopy placements and, or plans to increase canopy move based on this i mean in terms of the promoting the common good it seems to be a simple fix or not a fix a simple ameliorating factor that could help you know everyone in the town mm-hmm. you know lower air conditioning costs or what have you um and and as you mentioned increase you know the aesthetics of just being you know the surprising not surprising thing but if you drive around central new jersey all these developments they plow under what used to be there. They take every tree that's been there, gone, and they build these monstrous homes. The McMansions, which, you know, I have no beef with people who live there, but they look so barren and empty without a shred of the tiny little shrubs they replaced. They, they, had, right. they could have left a good amount of tree cover there. And I don't understand that mentality. I mean, I guess there's some, a bottom line mentality. It's easier for a developer to bulldoze everything rather than to bulldoze around things. Um, I could never live there. Every time I drive past one of those developments, I'm like, there isn't a tree in sight here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't live here. So it kind of promotes like a spiritual sickness. It feels empty, um, you know, those places. And I don't mean to disparage people who live there, but I can't handle but it. But I'm just going to spend 10 <coughs> yeah. minutes disparaging yeah, people, people live there. No, that's not true. <laughs> but you'll, yeah. you'll notice in those kind of communities, what's really interesting is what we try to do here mm-hmm. in Asbury Park. Uh, because it is so barren, uh, those people work very hard at planting things. Yeah. They're really looking to create a community, mm-hmm. and that's how they create community because mm-hmm. they they start talking to each other. Oh, what's that tree? What's that plant? And so forth. Here in Asbury, we're doing very much the same thing. We uh, we're inviting. For example, we just started a new program called Remember Me, and we're asking people to help us uh, plant a tree. We'll pay, you know, the the Environmental Shade Tree Commission began a 501c3 recently, and it's grown. And so we have money, so we can contribute money for a tree, and, and people who would like to have a tree in honor of somebody or in memory of mm-hmm. somebody can do that. Can we, for Ed and our couple of listeners, mm-hmm. two or three, heat island effect, what does that mean? Uh, so my understanding is that, you know, particularly New Jersey, when you replace tree cover with asphalt, with black asphalt, or macadam, right? Um, mm. and, uh, and concrete buildings, it absorbs more sunlight. So like the black uh, tar of the street uh, absorbs more heat energy than, say, white concrete or white paint. And when we say heat island effect, is that the, one of the interesting dynamics of climate change is the, not the aggregate change in global temperature overall, which is devastating enough, but the nighttime temperatures. So what happens in places like New York City there or Newark, Newark in particular, if you look, which is all asphalt, you know, you have 18 lanes of the turnpike next to the airport. I want to shoot you for asking yeah. this question, Ed. I want to just smack you right but now. But the bottom line is that the, at <laughs> night, in the middle of the night, it can still be 90 degrees there because there's heat radiating right. from the street. Right. So 
If Somebody wake me when Joe's done. Yeah. <laughs> so if you go, if you look at the map of the weather map up in Sussex County at night, it might be 75 degrees, but still 80 or more in Newark where, you know, so that's the heat island effect. So yeah. it okay. turns out it increases your energy costs if you live in, in, in urban uh, in, or heavily paved areas. You run, <laughs> you re, you run your air conditioners much right. longer. Moving on to another topic. Uh, one we can that, talk about Pythagorean theorem too if we want to really. One that I'm interested in. The shade tree does. Uh, so I'm going to tell the story how I got involved in the shade tree and really politics, which, you know, I don't, I don't know if I thank Tom for that or, or not. But uh, I was running around Deal Lake and I tell this story all the time. Interlaken was rounding up their geese at the time. So I'm, I'm running around Deal, Deal Lake and Interlaken. A big truck comes and literally puts geese in the back of the truck, um, and which I, I was obviously puzzled by that. Uh, I go home because I'm, I got, I'm in my, I guess late twenties, late twenties or anyway, many many years ago. Um, I go home and then I read somewhere in the paper that the way Interlaken had dealt with their geese problem had been they had rounded them up and gassed them. So I go bananas and write a bunch of letters to the editor and threaten to sue. And Tom reaches out. I didn't know him and says, can we, do you want to talk about the geese problem in Asbury? And I think at the time you said people want to kill them here. Mm -hmm. And so we met at Clancy's and I was then appointed to the shade tree commission. <laughs> um, and have Is been that better on it or worse since. than parking? Shade Tree Commission's wonderful. Parking's horrible. Okay. horrible. We've talked about parking a lot. I just wanted to clarify. <laughs> I just want to make sure that the hierarchy of awfulness is still, parking is still number one. Well, for, well, let me be clear on that one. Uh, Shade Tree is probably the best commission to be on. And and I'll give an example. Like John Moore said to me the other day, why isn't Doug on the Shade Tree Commission? And I was like, Doug's not on the Shade Tree Commission because nobody leaves that commission. Who's There's Doug? never an opening. Doug is, um, one, I think a listener. Um, and right, two, uh, just a around the town guy. He's a pilot, a super mm -hmm. smart planner. Mm -hmm. um, volunteers for the Shade Tree Commission too. all the time. Very put hard. in, didn't he put in the <laughs> um, the? Uh, I'm gonna say water source because greenhouse. He put in the greenhouse, but also Merchants Park. He put in the um, oh, we sprinklers. Did, yeah. yeah, he was. He was. He led us in that pursuit. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. Doug's great, but um, the, so I because we did appointments in January for the new year, and I nobody leaves the Shade Tree Commission, which is why because it's such a great commission. Mm -hmm. uh, the worst commission is so it vacillates between zoning and parking. Because both of those, you're telling people, and my friend Jill Potter's on both of them, which is honestly why I think she can't get a date. Because <laughs> all she does all day is say no. Yeah. No. I need a parking pass. No. Zoning. I need to put up a fence. No. I need to do that. No. I mean, they just basically say no to everybody. So keeping people on either one of those commissions is extremely difficult. Like zoning, we're appointing two two new people in March because those meetings go from about seven to ten thirty, and people as as the chair, who is the loveliest person on the planet, Chris Avalon, he's so he's so great, and he's been the chair for a while, and it's such a thankless job. As he said to me one day at Tides, this does no nothing for my social capital <laughs> because you're saying no to all your friends. So anyway, so I, 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 interrupted, a long way I, I, I interrupted the story about, so you're at Clancy's talking about geese. So we're at Clancy's talking uh -huh. about geese. Right. And what to do, how do you how do you deal with them humanely? So we took a training, I think, didn't we? We did with the geese police. 
We took a training and they, and then describe how we deal with the geese. Well, they gave us a couple of options. Uh, the one that we chose was to oil the geese eggs and to prevent the exchange from oxygen and, and uh, carbon dioxide. And so they, um, that, that worked. Mm-hmm. The only person who would actually work with me uh, on a regular basis was sitting right across from me, Amy. Mm-hmm. And she and I would go out for... Uh, in the, in the boats, in because the, boat. the geese were always in the islands. Right. Mm-hmm. So we'd go out with a huge umbrella. We'd go out with a magic marker. Uh, we'd go out with um, oil. And we would mark the eggs, mm-hmm. we'd oil the eggs, and one of us would fight the geese off because they would come after us. I didn't know you were an egg oiler. Yeah. Yeah. I had to get a, a certificate. Yeah, we hmm. both did. And in fact, the the group that went to that, uh, that training got those certificates. That's why we were able to do it. Right, right, right. Because you cannot touting they're federally protected birds right so through all of this inner lake and ends the up canadian getting in geese, trouble the canadian pe- geese that they are are yeah. federally protected <clears throat> birds yeah. so you can't you can't take the egg nor can you smash the egg so you can oil it but you, you have to leave it uh you have to leave it on the uh in the nest and they go back and the poor goose has a well she has a greasy ass for quite a while but she, <laughs> she sits on her eggs until she finally realizes that no mm-hmm. nothing's happening and then they leave yeah so if you take one you can't take them legally but if you take them they just lay more eggs they'll lay more eggs so right, that's you why you leave, leave them there for or them replace to them with a plaster correct. one um, <clears throat> you wouldn't i always thought just like letting a fox loose in sunset park for a couple hours a day <laughs> would help but you um, might but we do have foxes. We do, yeah, yeah. We're we're not going to do that. Joe. No, I'm. I, yeah, we wouldn't. Yeah. We're rabid, and they would. We like children. to humanely deal with well, the, the a, geese problem. A, actually, up until last year, we did the oiling, and, and but we stopped last year because uh, the city manager at that point, Michael, hired a, a company, and uh, they did it very very effectively. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. geese chasers. So there is mm-hmm. there is dogs that they don't harm the geese at they all. Just they chase just them chase off. them off. Yeah, yeah, because they are polluting elements in the water. The oh geese. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, Ed's yeah. front yard. Oh, I'm sorry about that, Ed. Yeah. <laughs> so can, um, can you oil Ed's front yard? <laughs> possibly. So that's how I got involved in the Shade Tree Commission. And through that, how I got involved in politics, because I started going to the council meetings to either like make announcements or something like the Shade mm-hmm. Tree Commission is going to put a garden here or whatever. And I'm sitting in my seat thinking I could do a better job. Right. Hence. And she did. And she has. There we go. Right. Well. God, she, don't don't tell her that. God. <laughs> it's true, though. I can occasionally, possibly do a better job on occasion. But I'm still on the Shade Tree Commission, and it's still hands down my favorite commission. And it's the commission that accomplishes the most, don't you think? Well, I'm not... Well, other than zoning, th- telling everyone yeah. no, if that's an accomplishment. We do our share. Yeah, we do our share. And why do you think nobody ever quits? I think they enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, we have about 40 volunteers who come on a regular basis on Wednesday mornings and Saturday mornings. And they enjoy it, and I give them I give them hell usually. Oh, jeez! I, I don't uh, you know I don't mince words with them, and they laugh and they grumble under their breath, but they do it. Right. And then they come back and say thank you. It looks so wonderful. So. I think one of the things with the Shade Tree Commission for 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 at least the volunteers and and for me personally is you see the result of what you've done. Yeah. So so you all of all of fall you may have spent planting something winter hits and then in spring you see this beautiful beautiful garden that that's mm. that's that's come alive and the people in town really appreciate absolutely it. they stop constantly telling us thank you and 
we love it and it's beautiful. And Tom, did you do your Master Gardener certificate uh, with the Rutgers Co-op? I did in mm-hmm. uh, Monmouth County. Right. And what does having a Master Gardener certificate mean? Well, you take a course. It's about, uh, I guess it's about 16 weeks. <clears throat> it begins in February and it goes right through June. And um, you just attend a whole series of lectures for several you know, for several months. And uh, you take a test, obviously. Uh, you do some work on telephone. People call in to ask questions about things like that. And then you have a graduation service. And um, you're a master gardener. And how many gardens do we have in town? Right now we have 16. We have one planned again for uh, the spring. So we'll have 17 at that point. Uh, That's probably going to be well, I shouldn't say that because it never usually holds true. I was going to say it's probably going to be the only other garden we plant, but more than likely we'll find some reason to plant another one, but we'll have 17 by the by the end of the summer next this year. And do you have a favorite? Do I have a favorite? Um, you know, no. I, um, I don't think I actually have a favorite. I just like all of them. They're they're all very unique in their own particular way. Each one sort of specializes in its own type of plant. For example, that circle garden over by the bridge that goes into Lock Arbor. Um, it's not very big, and yet it has the most beautiful mallows any, anywhere in the city. Mallows are uh, a, a, a perennial hibiscus. And they just bloom and bloom and bloom. And they don't really get that much care either, but they do beautifully. I I think Rain Garden might be my favorite. Where is that circle garden? It's it's right at the 7th Avenue boat launch. Oh, okay. There's a circle garden Mm -hmm. there. Yeah. I have a question from the audience. Uh, In other words, Ed. Ed. (laughs) Don't abuse the privilege, Ed. Ed, Go ahead, Ed. This may be a zoning question, actually. Are there rules? Well, then it's no. (laughs) Oh, Jill. Jill's calling in to say no. Are there rules a resident has to follow when planting a tree in the yard or removing a tree? That's one of the downfalls of the city at this point. We do not have any kind of rules in terms of private property. As it stands now, people can do just about what they want to do on private property, which is okay, but it's unfortunate because if you have really an old tree that's really healthy and has no reason to be taken down, you can't do anything about that. Right. Yeah, I assume. I assume you know, we're thinking about diseased trees, and Ed's going to build a palace of steel and girders <laughs> over there on Sunset. So. <laughs> but yeah. public, if the tree in public land that we have, the shade tree of the city has some yeah, control. That's over. that's probably one of the stickiest issues that we have in the city because the the right of way, which is that space between the sidewalk and the curb, is city property. Correct. But the, so they plant a tree there and. Uh, the resident is responsible for that area. Well, if the tree starts growing roots and that starts upheaving the sidewalk, that's their problem. Well, Which makes them irate. Which makes them very irate, irate. because it's expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, Sidewalks are super expensive. Yeah, of course they are, yeah. sure. And as a result of it, you know, you say to people... They'll say to you, but I didn't ask for that tree. And you'll say, oh, I know, but that's the, that's the sort of the way it is in the city. That's really, that's everywhere. That's not just Asbury Park either. Can a resident plant something in that space on their own volition, or do they have to go to the city for that since you guys own that? They really actually should come to the city and ask for that kind of permission. They shouldn't just plant on their own. And do they ask Jill? The answer is no, Ed, but if, or do they ask the trade, Shade Tree Commission? 
they usually would add, they would be sent they, they ordinarily would go to zoning, the DPW but if it was it's a no yeah so they invariably it. go to the DPW and the DPW will come to us and we'll go out and look at the space and ask them what they're planning on putting there because putting a tree on, pri- on public property has a couple of issues to it. If there are lines above the tree, you know, any kind yeah. of power lines, you can't put a tall growing tree there because yeah. it's going to get butchered like so many of the trees are. Could you put um, woody shrubs there? You can. Uh, People but, do. But not too many. There are very, very few places. Mm-hmm. My house, in front of my house, I have perennial plants. Yeah. And... Uh, I love it. I know it's not really the best thing to have there because uh, people who want to park in front of my house are invariably going to open their doors to step on the plants, and I have to live with that, Mm -hmm. and I will. But putting anything permanent like shrubs or things like that, no. Meaning you can, but don't do it. Well, I think what would happen is probably somebody would report it, and they would probably have to be taken out. Okay. That's like like an azalea row. Right. Would be a bad idea there. Okay. You have a favorite plant to plant? Um, yeah, I like the perennial anemone. It's uh, it's a beautiful plant, and it uh, it repopulates itself, and it's it's green all summer long. And then just when it starts getting colder, it starts to bloom. So it blooms right into Thanksgiving and Christmas practically. That's my favorite plant. I think cannas is one of the most beautiful plants, but there's so much work. You have to dig them back up. Yeah. But when they bloom, they to me are really, really breathtaking. Yeah. Breathtaking we, plants. We have loads of cannas. I know. I know. Um, yeah. And they're just such a pain to dig back up. <laughs> um, from one of our listeners, and by that, Jan, uh, how have you seen a change over the years on, on the shade tree um, via climate change? Like, are you noticing, or is it having any effect on the gardens and the plantings that you're doing? Oh, sure. Uh, the, well, the temperatures have certainly gotten warmer. I mean, this this winter is a kind of an indication of a definite change in the climate. Um, when I first moved to Asbury Park, I tried to plant a, um, a uh, oh my goodness, what's the name of it? Um, can't recall the name of the tree, but it, it died. And... Uh, about five years later, I planted it again, and it's gotten warmer, and it grows beautifully. Hmm. Yeah, um, I'll, the name I I can't retrieve it at the moment. I have a I have a rosemary bush growing on the side of our house. That you know, I took one of those rosemary things you get from Wegmans, yeah, and just stuck it into the ground um, on a lark, and it's grown year over year. So now it's a big uh, shrub, and it grew. It got bigger this winter. Uh, you know, it did, its growing season didn't stop. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just went out there. I was, took the garbage out yesterday, and I was like, I swear that this is bigger than it was in October. So, like, through the, through the winter, that continued to get larger. And ordinarily, rosemary has a hard time growing in this, re- in this region. Right. So, not only is it alive, it's growing through the winter. So, it's indicative of a bit of a you know, soil temperature change. And you have it near the house. It's so. near the house, which is why it's warm enough to... Yeah. But still, I was shocked that, you know, I haven't gone around that side of the house very often all winter. And I'm like, it definitely is bigger than when I saw it last, which is surprising. Well, you're luckier yeah. than most because rosemary is a tough one to grow here. Yeah, that's why I'm, I'm yeah. you know, it flowered last year. I didn't even know rosemary had flowers. Oh, like, yeah, where did all these pretty. blue flowers come from? Another question from Ed. Um, you. It's just 10 bucks now, yeah, Ed. Jeez. Oh, my goodness gracious. That's 650 is um, still on its way, Ed. 
um, using those arrow garden things for indoor planting, is that cheating? I don't even know what any of that means. Yeah. And I'm on the Shade Tree Commission. Yeah. Arrow garden. I'm not sure I understand your question, Ed. It's a little LED lamp with a pump of water and seed pods. That's a terrible question, question Ed. Ed. <laughs> well, you know, they, they are effective, you know, provided you can do something with them afterwards in the weather, you know. And, Tom, I would, well, one, we need to do favorite books, movies, yeah, yeah. and series. But also, I would be, if we don't at least touch on the community garden and that amazing, amazing project. Because mm -hmm. we're probably one of the only towns that have, uh, on city property, a community garden. Can yeah, you talk a little bit about it? Sure. Um, we have 24 raised beds there. Uh, we, we started that in 2004. Let's see, it's our eighth year now, so it's 2012, I guess it would be. And uh, we, we, uh, we were very fortunate. We were the first people who received a donation from the uh, Porch Fest people. They gave us uh, a significant amount of money because the garden that we had planted, the wood had already begun to decay, and they gave us $5,000, and we were able to rebuild all those gardens. And the whole purpose of it was to create a community garden where people could come and have uh, vegetables and things like that uh, free of charge. We weren't going to charge them. We had a big, big debate about whether we should put a fence around it. Oh, this it went on forever. Yeah, and fence it went on or forever. no fence. And Jill say no? We, well, I we, think we skipped zoning. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell well, zoning. Well, we, we didn't want a garden. We didn't want to have something like, you know, you can look at it, but you can't have anything right. as a part of it. Mm -hmm. So we didn't. And the very first year was amazing. We had a huge, huge bounty of vegetables, which was terrific. And we were giving away a lot of food. And the, the first year we had people still having private beds, right? Right. Right. That was the whole point of it, to open it up. And then... Um, the second year, what happened was the people who had seen it the first year realized that you could take all this food and you didn't have to worry about coming for it. So they would take it during the course of the day and the night. And people had private beds and they would strip their beds of all their food. Then So we decided, do we need a fence? Well, let's hold off. Let's see if we can, we can manage this. The third year, people came and stole the plants. Uh, so we, they actually took up the, the and then sometimes would take yeah. them up and then throw them on the ground. It's yeah. not like they took it, then took it home and planted, which yeah. was so infuriating to ah, us. We had we had eggplants all over the place. We had tomatoes taken. I know, uh, isn't that so bizarre? It, it, it was it was really disheartening. Oh. And then we acquiesced and said, "There are many of us. I was one of them who did not want a fence, but we need a fence. We cannot have this garden if we don't have a fence." And at that point, uh, Russell Lewis from uh, Watermark said. If you will willingly give all this food away to the to the uh, needy in town, I will under we will underwrite it, and that's what they did. Hmm. Russell has also been a member of the Shade Tree Commission is, for yeah. years, and uh, so good about writing us uh, checks. Oh my God, I think he has a drink at the Watermark that a percentage hmm. of it goes to the Shade Tree Commission. Right. So we'll give a shout out to Russell. He's also on the zoning board, saying yeah. no to all the applications that come forward. Excellent. I have a, for the for the six people out there in the um, uh, who where is the community garden and how can someone participate? The community garden is uh, right behind City Hall on Bangs Avenue, across the street from the uh, post office, and it's between the railroad tracks and City Hall. 
There's a big swath of land back there. Uh, it's all fenced off now. We just built a greenhouse, which will be used for the first time. It's actually starting. We just started to plant some seeds just about a week ago in a greenhouse. Um, we received donations from people in town for that. And uh, anybody who wants to volunteer is free to come on any time. Any time there are people there who are working, They'll be happy to have you uh, do something. And you give yeah. the food away Saturday mornings? Saturday mornings, right. We start around 9 from nine to about 11. This year we're going to introduce a kind of a uh, how, how to use this food. We have, we have a good number of people in town who don't really know a lot of things about the food that we grow there, even though it's common to their culture. They don't always know how to use it. So we're going to do a kind of a cooking thing as well. And uh, let, we'll do a couple of recipes, have some recipe cards for them and say, you know, if you want to use uh, bok choy, this is how you do it. That's a great idea. Uh, I got to get to our questions that we always ask. Uh, you got a favorite movie, Tom? A favorite movie? The Killing Fields. Wow. Oh, and didn't pause. So what we've had maybe 10 to 12 guests on our show. Mm -hmm. Even when I've given you a head, you know, some people want questions ahead of time. Uh, most don't, but a couple have been like, can you please send me the questions ahead of time? Even when I've sent the questions ahead of time and said, I'm going to ask you what your favorite movie is. This is, always, there's a huge sigh. <laughs> and then about 15 to 20 seconds of somebody thinking. So kudos to you, Tom. And yet, um, that's a good one. Because Tom did an, not get the questions ahead. An awful good one, but yeah. It was awful, but it put me in touch with what I really believe was important in life in terms of treasuring each other and caring for each other and uh, the kind of mass extinction that's going on that Mother Nature is telling us right now. If you don't listen, coronavirus is going to grow. Watch yourself. John. You mean it's not going to be gone in April via our pre our president? Listen, nothing to worry about. Nothing to worry about. <laughs> nothing to worry about. <laughs> We're all, everything's good. As soon as that spring hits, it's going to mysteriously and magically <laughs> Just a, disappear. Just kill it. Just ignore that guy over there named Noah building an ark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, What's yeah. a cubit? What does he know, Noah? <laughs> <laughs> um, you got nothing to see here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> you know we're preparing. You know that, right? So you, me, Heather, and Jill. Why would you want to survive? We are Take totally me, well. So know. you sound just like your your girlfriend Rita, who we read Station Eleven. Has anyone read that? Okay. Anyway, it's essentially about the end of the world. It's right. a book. Uh, Rita, Joe's partners in my book club, and so me and the other ones are like, okay, I'm gonna get my. I gotta get my son out. I gotta get this person out. You know, we're figuring it out. And Rita's like, I'm just gonna walk right into it. I'm just gonna. I want to be one of the first people killed. So I don't have to see all the shit that comes after that. No. And she just owned it. We're all just sitting horrified in this book club. Like she's like, I'm not even going to remotely fight it. I'm just going to walk right out into that <laughs> coronavirus and eat it. So you know, I was thinking about if you remember the book on the beach from the 70s. You know, mm. uh, where you know um, people are waiting out a nuclear. Um, the entire world dies from nuclear fallout, except, except Australia. They have to wait for it to show up. And then, and I'm like, currently it's the other way around. Australia, you're going first. <laughs> And it's the rest of us are waiting. You know. um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, to bring everyone down. but um, It'll be gone in April. Yeah. So, um, favorite book? Favorite book. My favorite book is always the book I'm reading at the moment. What are you reading? I'm reading The Songs of the Trees. And it's, uh, it's a book of, there's uh, <laughs> an author, I can't, I just, I, I lost his name, sorry. But he takes uh, a dozen trees throughout the world 
and talks about them in terms of their impact on the world as well as the impact on us as humans and it's it's almost it's it's almost poetic it's it's quite stunning quite beautiful david haskell that's it david haskell and uh, ed just earned his six oh fine thing. finally ed so thanks ed <laughs> it's uh, beautiful it's a beautiful beautiful book well you reminded me this is you know this is the complicated question i had written out that you know amy didn't want me to ask but you know you've mentioned this uh twice but i'm gonna ask it anyway right Everybody so, tune out for about 30 to everyone, 45 seconds. Everyone come back in a few minutes. Like Tom and I are going to have a little sidebar here. What's so, going on, Joe? What's so your, your, your Twitter handle includes the following statement, because I, I, I stalked you for My a week. My Twitter handle? Yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah. Tom has a Twitter. I don't even... You do. I don't think you use it. I don't think I use it. So, no. But you put on there that... Um, nature is my conduit to God, mm-hmm. who I am always aware is a breath away. Right. So, and... My thought about that, that reflects a particularly kind of Catholic spirituality, right? You know, that was very common, you know, in the 60s and 70s, sort of like a, um, that has sort of somewhat disappeared. um, I'm not sure it was all that common. Um, Mm. It was common if you believed in people like Théard de Chardin, if you believed in Matthew Fox, Mm -hmm. people like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you believed in the typical Catholic theologians, no, it wasn't that common. Mm. So I grew up in the, under Paul the Sixth, and you know he had made that a sort of a point. Of, so I, I, you know, I was taught by nuns who were almost pantheists, <laughs> and so perhaps which is why they're no longer nuns, any of them. But um, but anyway, I don't want to sidebar. But I thought that was you, you, you. It feels like your gardening is sort of intertwined with your spirituality, absolutely, and, and that's very evident. And you know, my my question was going to be like, just talk about that for a few minutes. But in fact, that's what you've been doing. So I just I just thought it was an interesting, mm-hmm. um, because there's a particular strain of that theology in you know Catholicism, but it's not prominent. You know, certainly now Francis brought it back, but not not yeah. so much. Uh, you know, in mainstream. But anyway, I didn't mean to see. Yeah, well, Amy, I'm still on. You have a Twitter account, Tom. You know, I probably have a lot of those accounts, but I don't. The only one that I actually ever really go on is Facebook. Okay, I'm still old enough to like Facebook. I don't, go, <laughs> I don't do Instagram because so, I don't even know what it's about or how. Yeah. Well, I was going to say we don't do Facebook. Yes, yeah, yeah we, we do. don't. So I'll have to email you the link. Yeah. So, can one thing that kind of fascinates me about um, Esbury Park and, and the gay community is, for a long time, a lot of people were assless chaps. They were what? They were assless chaps. Do you remember the assless chap phenomenon? No. Okay. Well, that didn't go well. Yeah. Every podcast we ask people about assless chaps. Amy, because Amy at, asked I do. Yeah. Because when I moved here, I used to see at the Pride Parade all of these people wearing assless chaps. <laughs> and then I stopped. And then we interviewed Connie Breach, who perhaps single-handedly stopped people from wearing assless chaps. It's Connie's fault? It, it perhaps is Connie's fault. I thought you implied it was your fault. I think about it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That, see that 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 dimension of the gay community that's never been an attraction uh, that I've ever been really interested in. Um, primarily because it, what it does is it just focuses on us as just being um, somewhat shallow. It's all it's about. It's about the size of your dick. It's about the size of your ass. It's the size of your biceps. Well. Yeah, I mean, and there, you, and you, there's a lot. You more. don't feel you can you can't have fun with that. No, I can't. Yeah, I, I wonder. Th- I think that might be had to have something to do with my Catholic upbringing oh, more than okay. anything. But uh, I just I just find that so one, not even one, maybe a half dimensional. So what? 
Oh, that's interesting. There's so so many... as somebody come so early forties and coming out in the nineties, that was like going to those pride parades and seeing that decadence was and, and having grow, grown up in the burbs, in, in the houses that you describe, right, where there's no trees, there's no nothing. Mm, it's just yeah. so monolithic and, and, and anything, n- anything, it ju- it just growing up in the burbs and being gay in the burbs is unpleasant, to say the least. So going to these, you know, going to New York City or, or experiencing Asbury's pride and that decadence of drag queens and assless chaps and, and all of that was like formative in a good way to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, the transgression was interesting, right? So it's shocking, not shocking, but invigorating in a way. Um, yeah. Um, and it was like, I never saw anything liberating. like that before. Mm-hmm. And I never saw people who felt comfortable walking around like that um, because you didn't in a suburb in New Jersey mm. that was more on the conservative side. Oh, sure. And so that, those were like, those were, those were, I'm, I'm. Like, well, well pioneers are, you know, but. Or you felt that they were expressing some kind of public courage, I guess. Yeah, but in New York, being gay in New York City probably is a totally different experience because it was always kind of decadent there. Or no? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think I judged it as being decadent. I just, I just judged it as not being enough. Okay. Um, it, it just became the focal point for the for anybody else out there who looked at the gay community. Oh, they're all about that. Right. Well, we're not all about that. And that's what upsets me more than anything else. We we pigeonhole ourselves, I think. I agreed. I agree. I'm trying to think, I, I, I've um, oh, you had one more question after the book. Oh, oh. I have a couple more questions. <laughs> um, uh, next exotic place you're going? I like to live vicariously through you because Joe and I don't fly. We don't All fly. Right. Uh, in April, uh, going to Thailand. Um, and Pacha, which is a mm. resort in the southern portion of, of Thailand. And then we're going to head off to India, uh, my most favorite place in the world. And we're going to spend about a week there. And Mal, we go primarily because Mal does shopping for his for the store, for heaven. Um, but I go simply because I, I can just stand in the middle of the whole place and just feel the, just absorb what's going on, the, the noise, the, the smells, and things like that. Favorite place to go? Favorite place you've been? My favorite place, actually, my favorite place is, is Vietnam. Hmm. Yeah. And why is that? Um, I think the quality of the people. I really thought we were going to be greeted with a certain kind of uh, uh, resistance. No, uh, not at all. They were as generous and as open and as helpful as they possibly could be. The food is spectacularly good. It's very fresh. Um, it's, it's a beautiful country. And when you think of what we did there, I, mean, I even crawled into one of the one of the one of those uh, tunnels. Uh, I was on a tour, and you were able to crawl into one of the tunnels for about about uh, maybe fifty yards. And I thought, oh, that would be fun. Until I got in, and I realized uh, I'm I'm not huge, but I was scraping the sides of the walls and the top of my head, and I was crawling along this dark, dark tunnel that just kept winding and winding and winding. And it got hotter and hotter and hotter. And then I finally came out and I realized these people lived in those things because they were so afraid of what we were doing to them. Um, so uh, Vietnam, um, just, just I think because of the way the people have received us and have forgiven us, I think, in their own way, 
my most favorite place. It, it's a place I would like to go um, if I ever fly again. My cousin, my godson slash cousin is marrying a woman from Vietnam. Mm. And Is the wedding in Vietnam? It was, the wedding was in Vietnam and the pictures are phenomenal. And um, they met when she was visiting here. But my, my first birthday card came from Vietnam. My I had two uncles were in Vietnam when I was born. Um, my father's younger brothers were both in Vietnam and his, his uncle who was a chaplain in Vietnam. Oh. There are all three of them there at the same time. So I got a birthday card, a handmade silk card mm. from Vietnam when I was born. So I tried to find it to send to Vietnam as a wedding gift. Mm. Um, but it's in boxes somewhere. But uh, it's an interesting um, place. And culturally, quite unlike what people expect. you know, yeah. And very, despite the tragedy between the countries very i don't like to say pro-american but very much an opening and welcoming culture to um very. to americans in and uh, beautiful stunningly visually colors and food and everything so wrapping up because jan's got open yep where how do people volunteer for any of the gardening well most of them can just simply go online uh, and to one of our websites or, or on my Facebook page. Just send, if you want to volunteer, just send me your email and address. And you'll add people to the list. And I'll add you to the list and you'll be on every single, you'll get sick and tired of hearing from me because I'm always sending out notices. So that's how people can do it. So jump on the Environment and Shade Trees Facebook page mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that will get you to uh, Tom or somebody that will get you to Tom and we'll put you on the on the email the blast. And I want to throw in a, a plug for the Master Gardener Certificate. You know, I work for Rutgers University, so my division sponsors that. Mm. We operate an agricultural outreach office in every county in the state, and there's a Master Gardener in each county. Yeah. In, so in this case, in, in Monmouth County, it's in Freehold. So uh, take the class if you're interested, but you can also call that office for your gardening questions. So if you've got aphids and you want to get rid of them, you can call for advice. If your roses don't bloom, so you know if you can't get a hold of Tom, you know there is a Master Gardener that is would can't wait to talk to you because gardeners are you know gardening people. That's what they, they do. Yeah. yeah. So um, easily found. Just look up Rutgers Rutgers Master Gardener, and you can participate. We actually have two people from the Shade Tree Commission Roy. this year. Didn't who are, Roy? Do, oh, who? Or, Roy, Roy, is a, Roy is a Master Gardener. So is Ellen. Uh, but we have two new people who have just been accepted into the program and have just started. Oh yeah. wow! Very yeah. exciting. So we and have several. I should give a shout out to our March episode, which is going to be with Shared Universe, Yeah, which is a new podcast, well, not a new podcast company, but new to Asbury Park. They, has, they opened up a studio on the boardwalk. Yeah. So that's going to be our March. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to collaborate with Ming and do a podcast there. Yeah. Be world famous. I'm sure. From NPR is finally going to give me all of this money so yeah. I can quit my job. I, and, I swear um, you've not listened to NPR because I feel there's a cognitive dissonance going on here. <laughs> you know, the idea of money and NPR. You give NPR money. You, they do not give day. you money. You don't get money. <laughs> one day. And I, and I will say I'm a member of several NPR stations, so oh support your public radio. WNYC, WBGO, <laughs> and Brookdale Public Radio. You know. uh, thank you, Tom, for coming on. My pleasure. This is great. And um, yeah, um, um, go plant stuff. <laughs> we will. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, thank you, everybody. Good. Asbury Pod gratefully acknowledges the support of Words, Asbury Park's only independent bookstore, offering new and gently used books for all readers. Words also hosts a range of literary and social events for adults and children. Located on 623 Cookman Avenue, Words is open every day save Tuesday from noon to 5.
stop by and say hello.